Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. It's time to unravel the hidden mysteries of the universe. Time to uncover the truth hidden beneath the veil of lies. Time to transport your mind from the perverted matrix and connect with your higher consciousness into the world of the divine paradigm. The divine paradigm. Divine paradigm. And now your hosts of The Divine Paradigm, Dr. Sasha Lesson and Janet Kira Lesson. Aloha and welcome to Divine Paradigm on KCOR Radio at kcorradio.com. And I'm your host, Janet Kira Lesson, with my co-host, Dr. Sasha Alex Lesson. And today our very special guest is John Titer II. And John's been on a number of our shows over the years, and he's got a new book. And I don't have it, John Titer Chronicles. Continued. It's called Continued. 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 Yes, I don't have the book in my hands. Down with Sasha. And this is a very exciting sequel, uh, the second book in a series. And we're going to talk about John's involvement in the Secret Space Program. Do uh, you have anything to say before we bring on John? Uh, yes, I do. This is one of the most exciting uh, opportunities we have, and, and we thank you so much, John, for being with us. John has been to a planet where Yahweh and Lilith has retired in a peace and love and created a planet of peace, and he's been given a mission to try to save the Earth. And I want you to listen up because John has got some real hope for us and for this planet if we just listen to him. Okay, thank you, John. Welcome back. Well, thank you. Uh, it's more like the impossible mission. <laughs> I get so <laughs> discouraged. You know, uh, the, the whole thing comes down to uh, Gordon Cooper. Uh, long before he died, he tried to address the United Nations about extraterrestrials. And he wrote a letter to uh, one of the member countries of the UN, and that's as far as he could get. I mean, he was an astronaut, a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. He laid it all out very carefully. And he, during his Air Force career, had seen spacecraft, uh, not of this world, and extraterrestrials, and they were not going to let him talk. And I was basically asked to do the same thing. But I went a few mm -hmm. steps further. Uh, I talked to our past President Barack Obama. I talked to Ban Ki-moon, 
and uh, Paul Ryan. I communicated with all of them, and mm -hmm. they did not want to talk about it. And did you actually get through to any of them and talk to them in person, or was this a series of letters? Or we did, did uh, certified oh, letters, and then I got as far as uh, a White House representative, and I was uh -huh. very disappointed that they would. Uh, not let me go forward because any one of them, including Ban Ki-moon, who was uh, president of the UN, could have put me in and allowed me time to speak. And no. The, the reality is we have agreements with four species of extraterrestrials, but there are over 86 known species of extraterrestrials. But the, the situation what is... What kind of power do those four species have? Are they influential over the other species, or are they all independent? Well, I would have to say federation? that uh, those four, I know for a fact that the tall whites and the grays and the reptilians have a lot of supervisory capacity on our own government, the United States. Uh, okay. The Russians and the Iranians have gone to Obama and tried to get him to admit that he defers on a lot of his policies and decisions when he was in office uh, to the tall whites. And the tall whites have a spaceport in the United States of considerable size. Uh, Where is that located? What what uh, state? Uh, Nevada, Creech Air Force Base. Uh huh. It's been there for uh, John, two years. Since, since you mentioned Barack, I just got to know: Do you have any information on whether he, like you, is a, a clone or not? Uh, that has been stated that 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 is a possibility, and if he is a clone. That what happened to the original. And I'm kind of thinking there was a point in time where something might have happened. But they wouldn't they wouldn't tell us. They wouldn't tell us. Uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, a lot of the VIPs in our government uh, have access to uh, clone body parts if they need them. Yeah, yeah, he, he drastically disappeared. So what's that? He he say that again. He broke up. The thing he would be if a VIP in the United States government needed a heart, lungs, kidneys, whatever it is, it's it's very likely that it would be a cloned body part. Third place. So let's let's back up a little bit. Where do they make these? We had a, another contact the experiencer whose husband worked on the uh, underground base and the cloning project, and um, it was Lori Hawker. She's a, a contact the experiencer, so she said that as well. And she said that in the base uh, there were some famous people, um, you know, presidents, and uh, I forget who all she said that when she would be invited in to some reason she was cleared to go in with her husband uh, mm -hmm. because she was a contact experiencer. And so she would see 
high-level officials that she recognized. So, uh, and that and that was the agenda to make these parts. Where do they do that in in your information? Is that in uh, Dulce? Or? I know they can do it at Dulce Base. Uh huh. That that would be a no-brainer for them. But I'm sure there are other laboratories around the country that can do it now too. But I don't right, know right. of another place they're cloning whole whole human beings outside of Dulce. And I know they're continuing so you, to do you that. You are a clone. So tell us a little bit more about your cloning process and what that entails. You're basically uh, grown in the in the laboratory and they uh, bring you to a conscious state and the next thing you know, uh, you're going through an indoctrination and evaluation period, and they are trying to determine if uh, the brain synapsis is correct, uh, that you have the experiences and the skills that they preloaded into your brain. That's uh, all part of it. And once you get through the evaluation and that you're uh, a fit specimen, uh, they send you on to training, and that's what they did with me. I was part of a four-man team, and they sent us on to ground school and flight training and small arms weaponry, and then we went on to uh, other types of weaponry that are not classified anymore, but uh, plasma weaponry. and. John, how did you uh, find out what made you uh, find, how did you discover you were a clone? And if you discovered it, did the others who were cloned also realize they had been given these uh, memories? I would say that you, you are so worried about being disqualified or th that they are going to trash you, so to speak in the first few days of your consciousness that you don't do more, you don't volunteer too much. And that's a problem for them. But I wasn't going to, I didn't want to be disqualified from anything. And I saw where some specimens were disqualified. I don't know what happened to them. But, uh, oh, wow. you know, it's kind of scary, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Sure from the program, so what do they do with you? They're not going to send you home. Yeah, it's they terminate you. Well, yes, that's what they would do. Uh, and in in twenty thirty six, often in the distant future, when I was getting too old to be in the Air Force anymore, I thought that's what they were going to do with me then. And I had a plan B, and I came back in time to the year two thousand, and I had a, an identity set up for myself. And everything. Of course, someone blew my identity. <laughs> but Tell us about that. Well, you know, being John Titer is no easy thing. And I was cautioned not to be John Titer. Uh, once I separated from the Air Force, they said, we've got this ID set up for you. We're going to let you go back to the year 2000. And we know you have plans. And so I got to go back in time to the year 2000. And lo and behold, I think that 
things kind of went fine for me in suburbia. I, I, I lived in a house with uh, Marsha, and uh, uh-huh. we've been man and wife now for uh, over a decade, and things just kind of went along fine. And then uh, I started hearing about John Titer on the radio, and I wondered where they were getting the information on John Titer because it wasn't me. Right. And so I, I, I was very upset about it, and I listened to some of the initial phone conversations about John Titer says, totally wrong. And so Marsha said, well, just go on Facebook. So that got me in trouble right there. I went on Facebook, and I had a little Facebook page. And that I plodded along with that for a couple of years, and I published white papers. And uh-huh. then all of a sudden, uh, I think it's probably not quite two years ago now that I was approached by a couple uh, people to write a book about time travel. And I did. And that didn't work out initially too well for me. But uh, what I did ultimately was, after consulting with attorneys, I republished the work as authorized Chronicles of John Titer II, and then I have written another book, uh, continued uh, Chronicles of John Titer II. But that's the last book in that series. I'm not the the next book that I write uh, will be. Answers in Stone, and it covers Great. everything from the time that planet Earth was created to where we are uh, pretty much right now, but uh, I thought that that would be uh, my last book, and I don't plan to write any more after that. Uh, I think I've said numerous times, you know, uh, that Stephen Hawking says that we have only about 100 years left on the planet. And I think that Stephen's optimistic. And I'm not pessimistic at all when I say that we have about 33 years left. And all Uh, the false uh, guy that was. He was uh, John Titer. Who's sponsoring? Who does he represent? What is that all about? Uh, a sponsor in respect to yeah, making oh, him put out. Okay, you talk, Sasha. Go ahead. Say it. Well, it's obvious that, that there's uh, it's a it's some kind of move because they anticipated you would come out with the actual information and they wanted to make uh, to diss it in advance. But who? What faction? What's that all about? I I really think that uh, they want to attack my credibility and because of what I know, they wanted to. Eliminate that as a threat. And 
I would say the one group that I would identify th that to be is the ones that carried out not less than five assassinations and that I investigated. And that group, they killed JFK, RFK, MLK, uh, Malcolm X, and William Colby. Wow. And wow. what I did, I sent a team back in time to observe all of the assassinations, to watch the perpetrators, film them, listen in on their conversations, follow them back to their handlers, and we put the report all back together and digitized it. I sent it off to a Marine general at the Joint Chiefs, and he died two weeks later. And oh as soon my. as I heard that, I had a general and a Fulberg colonel in my office at Area 51 conducting an, an Article 32 investigation on me and wanting to know if I had any more copies of that report. And I lied and said no. And everybody knows I, I lied. I wasn't going to tell them. Uh, at the time, sure. I was just holding it on what is a thumb drive in my pocket. And I, kept, I kept thinking to myself, I have to put this someplace where it will be safe. And so I did that. I put it in escrow in a bank. And upon my death, it gets released to the media, several main media outlets. But the, the whole thing is, when it comes right down to it, there is two or three conspirators left alive at this time from those five assassinations. And you have to understand, to do an assassination like JFK's, it takes resources. It takes money. It takes time. It takes coordination. It's not a happenstance thing. You know, they had to find a patsy. They had to plant a rifle, plant, plant a bullet at Parkland General Hospital. And they, they had uh, George Bush, who was deputy director of the CIA at Dallas PD, orchestrating. Uh, the FBI was there working with them. Uh, lots were going on. There's actually a photo of George Bush Sr., standing outside the Dallas Police Department. So they had the assassination. Wow. You know, I mean, so this other, this other John Titer, um, I, you know, I really didn't follow it that closely. I know that he was on Art Bell. A number of people uh, kind of had interviews with him or about him. But he was apparently saying things that didn't come true about the timeline and the future. Is that, is that correct? I, do you have more information on this? I would say that, that substantially a lot of the things he said didn't happen, wouldn't happen. Uh, but by creating this level of just not hitting the mark, I would be discredited yeah. too. So, that works against me all the time. Well, which John Titer are you? There are not less than a hundred or so 
John Titer's on Facebook. And there's a, a John <laughs> Titer 2 in South America. And I've actually messaged him and talked to him. And he, he admits that's just an alias for him. but So it, it just makes it more difficult that was your, for me. That was your name given at your birth, quote-unquote, where you were uh, awakened in, what was it, 1978? And that was the that's, that identification was it. you were given. Yes, they, I wasn't John the John Titer the first. Uh, I was John Titer the second. So they knew something there. I think that uh, what I was to learn later is that there was another one before me, and that he would keep, was considered to be expendable, and uh, they used him up pretty quick. And there were a few times wow. on missions that I was on, I thought that I would not. Uh, live to see the next sunrise. So I could understand that. Uh, I, I definitely felt uh, there was one mission that I was sent on to go back in time to the year 230 BC to uh, China. And I thought that they didn't expect me to come back. But I did. So when you, when you go on these missions, uh, I know other people have been, you know, used in the government to, uh, and they get different uh, identities. Have you had other identities on these missions? I've had multiple identities. And it's like uh, they give you an identity and bingo, you remember everything. And so I think that I've used multiple identities when they, they used to give me, you know, like all the necessary documentation, uh, passports if I needed them. But at some point, Towards the end of my career, I was I was flying a desk more than anything else, and I actually wrote <laughs> the 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 manual to do uh, time travel missions and time travel reconnaissance, and I put that into the first book, which was titled Authorized Chronicles of John Titer Two. I put that in there. I wanted people to understand how it was done, and then uh, I, I tried was to. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I tried to basically explain how time travel is done. And it's it's not that big a thing. Uh, it can occur naturally. Uh, if you look up mm -hmm. Bruce Gernon on uh, the Internet, you can Google Bruce Gernon, and you'll see that he actually traveled in time naturally through what is called electronic fog. And he's just one of a group that have. Uh, Michio Kaku, probably the most eminent scientist on the payroll with the U.S. government, wrote a white paper probably 10 years ago from this date on how to build a stationary time machine. And darned if the U.S. government didn't go out and build it. And I've seen that one work. And I've used that. And then the other way to do time travel is if you have a spacecraft that is capable, capable of more than the speed of light with a computer that can handle the calculations, you can travel in time. Extraterrestrials wow. have been doing it for a long time. And, and the thing that you need to understand about extraterrestrials and their interface to this planet is that have no doubt that this 
is an engineered solar system. We live on an engineered planet with moon or satellite, and we are an engineered species. Mm -hmm. Oh, and we are at our commercial break. Oh. Yeah, we will be back in five or six minutes. This is Divine Paradise. You are in the Divine Paradigm with Dr. Sasha Lesson and Janet Kira Lesson exclusively on the KCOR Digital Radio Network. Some call it the height of human civilization. Share your thoughts by calling the KCOR Digital Radio Network hotline number at 702-425-9230. That's 702-425-9230. Worldwide callers use Skype name KCOR Radio. More positive potential revealed in the exploration of the paranormal after this. This is KCOR Las Vegas, home of the Digital Radio Network. Broadcasting from a shack just south of Area 51. Wait, that doesn't exist. This is the KCOR Digital Radio Network. Now for the news. It's time, once again, to unravel the mysteries of the universe by connecting the dots of the higher consciousness. You get to really sort of enjoy a bizarre ride. Become part of the show by calling the KCOR Digital Radio Network hotline number at 702-425-9230. That's 702-425-9230. Worldwide callers use Skype name KCOR Radio. Tweet your thoughts anytime by using hashtag KCOR. It's my favorite thing to do every day. Escape the Matrix and join the conversation live in our chat room at www.kcorradio.com. Now, back to Divine Paradigm with your enlightened hosts, Dr. Sasha Lesson and Janet Kira Lesson. And we are back with Janet, Sasha, John, and Tina Marie. And Tina is going to read a question from the chat for John Titer. Take it away, Tina. Well, Troy on our Skype channel sent me a message, and Troy's a longtime listener to this network, and he wanted to know if, if John has been so far out into the future, how can he be unsure that we only have 33 years left? Wouldn't he know the answer? Oh, I absolutely do know the answer. Uh, and the answer is... By 2100, all life on this planet will be dead. And prior to that, in 2050, there will be more plastic in the ocean than fish. The Great Barrier Reef wow. has died. Uh, reefs all over the planet are dying. The uh, fisheries are dying off. And all this is going to lead in famine in the third world countries that depend on these fisheries first. And then you have uh, a rise in domestic violence, and then you have local governments being toppled, and then uh, whole countries being toppled. You're going to see a lot of chaos, but it won't be pleasant for mankind. We're going to go out 
with a big whine. And while all this is happening, the rich 1% that can afford the ticket off the planet will get to go to uh, one of two off-world colonies on uh, planets very much like Earth. They are exoplanets, and they are capable of supporting life as we know it. But the ticket's a little pricey, and it won't be for everyone. Right. So uh, tell us about how are we getting off-world? How long have we been off-world? Uh, weren't you part of that mission to make those um, those two colonies? Tell us a little bit more about that, and then I'm going to go on to um, the Anunnaki. <laughs> go ahead. All right. Uh, I actually did a survey of about a dozen planets, and then we found mm -hmm. uh, two or three that were very well suited for our species, and uh, it would be like a clean slate. And what we could do, uh, to some degree, uh, we could do some seeding, we could uh, bring some uh, flora and fauna there, we could bring some uh, animal species uh, native to this planet there. Uh, and we started landing people on both planets. And in the very beginning, they're just dependent on uh, freighter service from this planet. And what the rush for all these colonies always is to get to the point where they're self-sufficient and they don't need to depend on uh, cargo from Earth. And both these off-world colonies, I understand, are at that point right now. And I was are, they actually, are they are they in uh, the uh, where are they? Are they in the in our solar system or another solar system? They're in uh, the vicinity of this solar system, but not in this solar system. And I talk about their location and their designation in my book, Authorized Chronicles of John Titer Two. I give all the specifics. Uh, wow. But I, I was not allowed to continue as a, a pilot or a commander of spacecraft after that. Uh, I, I went into training and I built a, a cadre up of at least 150 personnel that could time travel. And I started sending people out on missions. And I would supervise the missions or set them up, but that would be it for me after that. Although there was one mission uh, that after I was relieved of command of the 177th Time Travel Division, I did go back in time for one more mission. And that was pretty much my last mission. Are and you still I know a colonel or are you have you been further promoted? Are you still a colonel or are you higher than that now, John? I'm I'm reserve status, full bird colonel. And it's you know, like uh occasionally I end up going out to uh Edwards Air Force Base or I, I go to Palmdale International and get on Janus Airlines and fly to Area 51. 
Or sometimes it's Area 52. Bet you didn't know there was an Area 52. And, nope. uh, <laughs> uh, and I also go to Creech Air Force Base, uh, which is... Where the tall whites are. Yes. Okay, so, what's, what's your uh, relationship with the tall whites at Creech? I believe that the tall whites are distantly related to the Anunnaki. Are they uh, the same bloodline? Are they a uh, result of the children that they left behind? The hybrids? The I, th I think they're uh, a hybrid race. But the one thing you have to understand about the Anunnaki is that they are a warrior race. And they basically have roamed uh, the Milky Way galaxy, traveling from uh, planet to planet. They go to a planet, uh, start a civilization, uh, harvest resources they're looking for, precious metals, uh, and other uh, commodities that they need. And they go on. But the thing to understand about them is that with every species, they, they come to a planet, they're there for a while, and then when things degrade to a certain point, they leave and go on to the next they're really environmentalists. They just kind of use a, a planet until it's uh, depleted. But tell us about the Yahweh that you met on Kepler-69. How did you get there? What was that mission about? Well, uh, basically, I was asked to undertake a mission and uh, given command of a, a, a very large spacecraft. And I had uh, several other ships in a, a task force accompanying me to Kepler-69C. And uh, there was a, a bounty on my head when I, I did it. And uh, I was attacked by uh, some Anunnaki on the way to Kepler-69C. And they wanted me to surrender myself uh, because I had killed an Anunnaki. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted to ask you about that, uh, John. I know that uh, in our previous thing, you said that you had killed the, the son of Adapa and that in this latest book, uh, Adapa uh, led the fleet that attacked uh, your your fleet. And it sounds like you annihilated everybody. Uh, is it your idea? Uh, did, do you think that Adapa died in that uh, firefight? Yes, I did. Because we couldn't find any life signs in any of the debris, and we searched it for a while. I don't think he escaped. I'm, I'm pretty sure that he he felt that I should perish for killing his son, and I wasn't going to have it go that way. And the gray aliens were accompanying me, and they had several spacecraft just way, waiting for an opportunity to open up on him, he didn't really have a chance. But uh, now was Adapa full Anunnaki, or was he the historical Adapa that was half Anunnaki? I think he was his father. Was it a different person or the same person? Same guy. 
same guy. And I want to Im impress upon you that there was a cuneiform tablet uh, that was uncovered within the last hundred years. And they talked about the first kings. And some of these guys lived for tens of thousands of years in Mesopotamia. And I suspect yeah. they were nothing more than Anunnaki. And Anunnaki lived mm -hmm. for a very long time. Right. But, uh, the, the other thing I discovered when I met Yahweh, Elohim, on Kepler-69c, which you, you'll grasp this right away when I say it, you have to understand what the Kardashev scale is. And mm -hmm. the Anunnaki are a level five on the Kardashev scale. That wow. means that pretty much anything they want to do, they can do. Can they create a solar system like the one we live in? Absolutely. Can they, they take a planet called Tiamat and have it crash into a planet that was in Earth's orbit and turn that into the Kuiper Belt? Oh, yeah. Can they attach a moon to this new planet called Earth so that there'll be uh, tides? <laughs> the moon orbiting the Earth has so much to do with the way life evolved on this planet. The, the rising of the tides. It's all about mm -hmm. that. So well, life evolved because of the moon in a particular yeah. way. And it was engineered to be that way. And the Anunnaki so this, um, did that. But Yahweh Anunnaki. The level five doesn't have anything to do with being peaceful, you're saying. You're just saying it's based on technology. Uh, I would say yes. But I would say the Anunnaki that I met on Kepler-69C were only interested in uh, increasing their knowledge, reaching out to other species, and trade. And they were always looking for uh, new things. Commerce seemed to be more interesting to them than war. And they do have a substantial uh, fleet of spacecraft and army. Absolutely. Could decimate just about anything in this galaxy. But the thing was... That when I got the opportunity to meet Yahweh Elohim, and I went with my friend Rock, who's a gray alien, and we got to sit down and talk to him at some length, he, he talked about the Kardashev scale and, and where they were at in it, and said, you have to understand the Kardashev scale is created by a Russian, but it's not totally his idea. But once you understand that, you understand how advanced they are. Uh, the environment was very well controlled. Nothing is wasted. They live on a very green planet, but they have industry. They have commerce. They have large populations. Uh, they don't have homeless. Everybody gets health care that needs it. Uh, the, the streets, the one thing impressed me about the streets in their cities, absolutely clean. 
No refuse anywhere. Uh, they just seem to have too much pride to, to not take care of where they lived. Uh, Yahweh, Elohim? Transportation. It's because our cities are designed around cars and streets that would accommodate. They, they have streets. They have things like drones flying everywhere. They have uh, levitation instead of wheels. They use levitation. They, they, we, we, somewhere along the lines, we didn't get that memo about levitation. But they have uh -huh. uh, vehicles that use levitation and ride uh, anywhere between uh, six to eight inches off the ground or more if they mm -hmm. need it's just, and they go very fast. But they seem could, to have no trouble stopping. Yeah. But they had, yeah. uh, I would say, the, the skies weren't just filled with vehicles going everywhere. There it was more like there were uh, reserved areas for overflights of things. So you would look up and see like, uh, it would be compared to uh, freeways in the sky, but there were clear spaces in between. And so I think that there were designated pathways in the skies where these vehicles could travel, just like our passenger aircraft have flight <laughs> lanes, you know, that they stick to pretty much when they go <laughs> city to city. So I think that was part of what they do there. But the other thing was that uh, oh, Yahweh, go ahead. Let's do the other thing. Yahweh lives on an estate. And uh, there are some guards there. You have to sign in to get past the front door. Uh, they didn't frisk me. I didn't go through any kind of metal detector. Uh, when I went there, I, I I basically had uh, a sit down with them on uh, what would be a veranda-like structure uh, adjacent to his house. And I sat there and I asked all the important questions. I asked him, one of the questions I asked him is uh, why he had invited me to come there specifically. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was one of the things that the Joint Chiefs told me was that I had been asked for specifically and I wanted to know why. And I, I thought, thought that certainly there are many others that he would probably be more interested in talking to, maybe a president or, you know, maybe Ban Ki-moon, somebody. And he said, no. And he said, you know, we, we have a plan. And I said, all right, why not? And so I listened to him. And evidently, some of his DNA, uh, I was the recipient of some of his DNA. And hey, you said Lilith was, Lilith was also a part of uh, your uh, ancestry? Well, yes. And Lilith, uh, Marsha, received some of her DNA. Oh. And. Oh, my God. It gets it gets better, and so I said, "Why did you do that?" And and he said, and he looked at Rock. One he said, "Well, Rock was there at 
Dulcie, and it was his project to do it. And we had planned to create you. Now, none of this really struck home until recently. I mean, forget about the fact that I'm, I'm not allowed to talk to the United Nations. I will tell you, in the last 60 days, there have been not less than two attempts on my life. And the first one, the very first one, was designed to make it look like an accident. And I dodged the bullet, quite literally. The second wow. time, my face and ribs were crushed, and I was left for dead. And lo and behold, I regained consciousness, uh, sat up, and checked myself and for broken bones. And if you can imagine this, uh, my cheekbone was crushed. And the upper part of my palate on the right side of my face was pushed down into my mouth. I'm bleeding profusely from the top of my head and over my right eye. Uh, and I was worried about the loss of blood. But what I did immediately was I took my thumb and I stuck it in my mouth and pushed my jaw back into place from inside my mouth. And I said, well, I got that done. And then I stood up. And from there, I managed to uh, get myself to an emergency room. And uh, the first thing that the doctor said to me, after I told him what I just told you, he says, I don't understand why you're still alive. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's been a, a difficult for me since that time, but as you can surmise, I talk all right. Uh yeah. prepared. My ribs are healing still, and my face is healed uh, outwardly anyway. Uh inwardly I'm still in pain. I've managed to wean myself <laughs> off hydrocodone. So I am not easily killed. And this goes yeah. back. And you have protection. You have some friends that are protecting you, I, uh, I guess, from that one thing when you were invaded uh, and uh, the people were uh, transported before they could do any uh, anything terrible. Um, that, so sometimes they're on the job and sometimes uh, people get by them. Is that what happens? Yeah, what happened that you weren't protected when you were going faster? This is all in the book, everybody. You've got to read the book. I will tell you, I trusted yeah. people that I was with when this happened, and they betrayed me. And they know I know. So I, I, I you know, like, I can't say more than that. I, I trusted someone to have my back, and it didn't happen. And I have since had discussions with the Anunnaki and uh, with one person whose name is Aland. And Aland 
actually even visited me uh, when I was in the hospital initially. And he said that he wasn't expecting that to go down the way it did and that he was sorry. Alon being is an Anunnaki uh, officer in their space fleet. And are they going to keep the tighter look watch over you from here on out? I hope. Uh, we've tightened up security so much as far as what I do and where I go. Uh, I I was recently, as you know, supposed to go in October. Oh, hold on. We are on our second break here. We'll be back in a few minutes. You're listening to the Barn Paradise. You are in the Divine Paradigm with Dr. Sasha Lesson and Janet Kira Lesson exclusively on the KCOR Digital Radio Network. Some call it the height of human civilization. Share your thoughts by calling the KCOR Digital Radio Network hotline number at 702-425-9230. That's 702 425 9230. Worldwide colors use Skype name KCOR Radio. More positive potential revealed in the exploration of the paranormal after this. Throughout the universe are keys to a hidden message, awaiting a voice, a voice that can decipher their coded meaning, a cosmic connection to the cosmos. Tune in to the KCOR Digital Radio Network at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern for Cosmic Connection. Cosmic Connection. Cosmic Connection. Cosmic Connection with astrologers Caroline Lynch and Merlin Wizard. Your weekly astrology reading is but a phone call away. So call Cosmic Connection Sunday, 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, and get your free reading today. Cosmic Connection with Caroline Lynch and Merlin Wizard, exclusively on the KCOR Digital Radio Network. Paranormal Radio never sounded so good. Join the hosts of the American Ghost Hunter Show each week as they shoot from the hip without holding back. They're kind of unpredictable. Not like the rest of us. Live every Thursday night, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Right here on the KCOR Digital Radio Network. Come hear some of the hottest authors, investigators, as well as TV and radio personalities from around the world. On the American Ghost Hunter Show. Our survival depends upon it. Hauntings, UFOs, cryptos. 
If it's branded paranormal, we'll be talking about it. The American Ghost Hunter Show, live Thursday nights, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, exclusively on the KCOR Digital Radio Network. The only question you have to ask yourself, are you ready for it? Yeah! All right! Bowl for Life is a nonprofit organization founded in 2013 by Chuck Gardner with one simple goal, to grow the sport of bowling worldwide. Over the years, Bowl for Life has given out thousands of dollars in scholarships to youth bowlers around the world. Our focus is to nurture integrity, honesty, professionalism, as well as respect into bowlers both young and old. You can help us by going to bowlforlife.com. Even the smallest donation goes a long way to breaking down the barriers and helping us assist people of all ages to improve their skills as well as knowledge of the game. Bowl for Life is happy to be partnered with other great organizations like the Youth Education Services Fund as well as the United States Bowling Congress with many spectacular integrated events planned in the near future. To learn more, go to bowlforlife.com. That's bowlforlife.com. It's time, once again, to unravel the mysteries of the universe by connecting the dots of the higher consciousness. You get to really sort of enjoy a bizarre ride. Become part of the show by calling the KCOR Digital Radio Network hotline number at 702-425-9230. That's 702-425-9230. Worldwide callers use Skype name KCOR Radio. Tweet your thoughts anytime by using hashtag KCOR. It's my favorite thing to do every day. Escape the Matrix and join the conversation live in our chat room at www.kcorradio.com. Now, back to Divine Paradigm with your enlightened hosts. Dr. Sasha Lesson and Janet Kira Lesson. Hello, welcome back. This is Janet Kira Lesson with Dr. Sasha Alex Lesson and John Tiger too, and producer Tina Marie. And we're here on our final segment. And we'd like to cover. We'd like to go back to that visit with um, Yahweh Elohim, who is Enlil from the Anunnaki story. And I guess after uh, the battle at Sodom and Gomorrah in 2150, when a lot of the Anunnaki left, he left and went to this planet, which is um, Kepler-69c. Is that true? Is that what happened? That Enlil left the Earth at that time and went to this planet? Basically, Mm -hmm. there was like a thermonuclear war all over the Earth and all over Mars. And neither planet were, uh, from an environmental standpoint, uh, tenable. And so they looked to go to another uh, exoplanet and start over. And we have What happened that we got revived and and were, you know, habitable again? Well, what you, you need to understand is that there are... Caves that were used all over the planet 
and that people went underground yeah. and survived. Uh, examples of this uh, in China, in the Grand Canyon, uh, Cappadocia, I think, in Turkey, uh, uh -huh. all over the world. And, and some of these cave systems were uh, large enough to support life for long terms uh, underground. Uh, the Hopi Indians uh, have a great story they tell about extraterrestrials that told them to go underground and told them when to go back above ground. So the ant people specifically there for the Hopis. But I think that uh, we have uh, isotope information in Libya of a thermonuclear detonation and Mohenjo-Daro. But I think there are lots of different kinds of weapons that were uh, of a tremendous magnitude that brought down uh, a worldwide power grid that the Anunnaki had set up based on pyramids and obelisks. And that many uh, things happened to the earth and the earth changed. But during all of this, there was uh, a rather large city in Antarctica that would became covered over with ice. And this may have been due to slippage of the Earth's crust. But we definitely know that there's a civilization that's under 3 to 11 miles of ice. But the Anunnaki on Kepler 69C, they are on the Kardashev scale, a level 5 civilization. And you can look up the Kardashev scale on Google, and it's important that you understand it. And recently, one of the astronauts that went to the moon said that he read my book, Continued Chronicles of John Titer II, and when he read that part, everything that he knew about extraterrestrials just clicked for him. Because now he understood what he had been dealing with. And, and they're not supreme beings, but they are superior to us in many, many ways. Uh, long term for this planet, uh, I have tried continuously to raise people's awareness of the environment and what is going on with the environment. And I think that Stephen Hawking tries to do the same thing. Uh, we're at, at a disparity in opinion on how much time we have left on the planet. And I'll tell you what it is. He says we have 100 years. I say we have 33. And part of it is this, Fukushima. Fukushima has been far more detrimental to the uh, fisheries in the Pacific and all over the world, for that matter. And it's not really publicized. Uh, they've so, gone down to so the depths of the ocean. Don't the Anunnaki have solutions for all this? And, and isn't there a way to convince them or get them to support us in, well, there's a lot of humans that have solutions and they get shut down every time they you know, bring it to the government. They naively bring it to the attention of 
our world governments, and then they just uh, squelch. Have you in in the very beginning of my my latest book? Have you read what I said? Let, let I, me just yeah, refresh my memory. What what are you referring to? Go ahead. In the very beginning of my book, continued Chronicles of John Titer Two, mm -hmm. I say, mankind betrayed the people, the environment, and the civilization on planet Earth have been betrayed. Betrayed by those yes. elected to serve as the people's representatives in governments. The people's representatives serve only themselves. The thought of stewardship of the people, environment, and the civilization on the planet rarely enter into their outlook. Commerce and profits outweigh the bigger picture. And that's going to be our demise. So what, but what about, since the Anunnaki have an alignment with humanity, they are our parents, we are directly descended from them, you have a relationship with Enlil, Yahweh, Elohim, I don't know where Enki is in all this, and he loves humanity and has intervened many times, and you are an ambassador not only from um, Enlil to the earth, to the United Nations, but the reversal. You're an ambassador to Enlil. Couldn't you implore uh, to ask him, please step in and, and use your level five technology to do something about this? Because the regular humans have come up with solutions, but we're not being allowed. We would like intervention. And I, I basically had the same thoughts you just stated and the magnitude of cleaning up this planet it's it's horrendous when you look at the air pollution problems in china alone and india it in they have whole days in uh beijing where they tell the population don't bother to come to work they have the highest Great. incidence of lung disease and tuberculosis of any country on the planet. And when I was reading your book, I have personally talked to a number of people that have solutions. And it seems that it's not that we don't have the solutions that could, it's the politics. And if like Arrival, you know, the movie Arrival, where they intervene and they say, you know, you've got to stop this stuff and we're not going to let it happen. Then these these technologies, which could, we have plenty of time to save the earth. We have plenty of time. That's well, what I'm saying. There are, There's a way to do this. There are some things we could do immediately. Stop uh, deforesting the Amazon rainforest. Stop cutting down trees and start planting them. We need fast growth forests. We need to clean up the plastics in our oceans. And mm -hmm. we need to stop geoengineering the atmosphere. It's I a failed project. With some scientists that are in the LA area that I have talked to personally that have solutions for cleaning up the plastic 
and for cleaning up the radiation. And it's basically biology. They've got some, and I, and I probably will say this wrong, it's been a couple of years since I've listened to the logic, but they have kind of like uh, Pac-Man little eaters that can eat uh, the uh, radiation, that can eat those things. And they've already invented all this. They wanted to uh, put it into into action, and they were uh, fitting to do so. So that is there, and humanity has solved that problem. But we just need to be a permanent. Who's who's the cabal? Is that Anunnaki? Who is it? Which ones? The the, the Anunnaki are just. They're not willing to step in and say we will govern you, and you have to stop doing these bad things you've been but doing. But aren't they governing us? Who's the cabal? Is that? I don't think that's human. I think that's some extraterrestrial species. I and think that interfering with humanity's natural progress. The biggest problems that we have with the planet is our own governments and the corruption that we have in, in government that you can't even begin to comprehend. I mean, I've just sat back here for the last decade and watched what is called, you know, Washington, D.C., and for lack of a better word, it's a swamp of corruption and avarice. And they don't care about the people. They care about Washington, D.C. They don't care about anything outside the Washington, D.C. beltway. If the rest of the planet is on meltdown, but Washington, D.C. is okay, they're happy. And that's that is going to be something that we should put on mankind's epitaph because they don't care. You know, they, they care more about uh, the, the Republicans beating the Democrats and the Democrats beating the Republicans. It's insane. And I, I hoped that I would be able to communicate with Donald Trump and at least move him towards some environmental issues. I didn't want Bill or Hillary because they killed at least 14 people and counting. And I say that in my book. I knew that Donald would be elected and and Mike Pence after him. Make no mistake. The Democrats have killed their own political party in this country. It's crazy. But the environment, it has to get to the forefront of the American peoples and the rest of the world's purview as a priority if mankind is going to survive. We're just going to be a lot of immigrants. What would you say to him? Imagine you got through and and you got a meeting with Trump. What would you say to Donald? i tell him we have to work on the environment. And, And he has a lot on his plate. The biggest thing is uh, in North Korea and then the place where the North Koreans have been testing uh, hydrogen bombs, uh, the tunnels are collapsing all around it and there's going to be a radiation leak and it's going to go everywhere. And the Chinese know it, the Russians know it. Kim Jong-un, you know, that little 
Rocket Man gets a chance to detonate a hydrogen bomb in the atmosphere, millions upon millions will die. So that's that's a bigger issue for Donald. Forget about the plastic in the ocean. If 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 everyone just stopped throwing things in the ocean, that would be a help. If people just went down to the beach and started picking stuff off the beach, I think that I had in my book pictures of dead birds that had ingested plastic and starved. Yeah. Them. I had uh, pictures of plastic that had washed up on islands in the Pacific that are uninhabited. In the Pacific and in the Atlantic Oceans, there are huge islands uh, several kilometers square and, and probably that more than 100 feet deep of these plastic refuse islands. And then there's all kinds of seabirds and dead fish and dead mammals mixed in. They smell terrible. There was a plan to um, go to these islands of plastic and start to use that and recycle rather than making new plastics. And they could clean up the oceans that way. The oceans have a system of naturally gathering these things together by currents. And so, you know, it could, it, it could be a slow process or it depends on how many people they get involved in this project. But that's one way of just taking what we already have and uh, restructuring it into the other forms and stuff uh, and well, gather up that pollution continually happens. Is, but how, so better how can you get the political will to do it? You know, it has to be private industry. It has to be profit. It, it has to be more profit than to go and, and just harvest what is rather than starting new. Something like that. I, I'm not sure that, you know, there's politics around everything, but it is a, a degree of getting people to become more conscious about and I think that people knowing somehow that, you know, it's all going to be gone by, you know, 20, uh, 2050 or 2033, by bringing that home, that is the most important point, that we're killing ourselves. And it's, it's so maybe getting this made into a movie, would, uh, you know, based on a true story and, and somehow convincing everybody that uh, your story is true. A lot of people just go, ah, that's science fiction. But, you know, there's a way of, um, you know, bringing that home to people. So this is probably the most important book because you've seen the future and it's not good. And if you could somehow convince Donald or whoever surprised with all the world leaders, this isn't this isn't good. So maybe um, you know media somehow, you know whoever's out there listening, let's get I've, I've, I've been beating on the doors, and so is Marcia. And and we give we we are not without financial means. And uh, on a yearly basis, we make substantial contributions to the Nature Conservancy and World Wildlife Fund and some others. We, I write for Scientific American, and they publish my work. Uh, I'm I'm doing what I knew, know how to do, but the the downside for me is I'm attacked. Uh, with lies and slander. They, they don't attack what I say in the books, ever. They don't. It, that, I've never seen that happen. Uh, 
The only thing I have seen recently is one of my uh, biggest supporters called me and he said, do you know on page 35 of the new book, that URL that you put there as a, a source, uh, it stopped working. And, and, and what I said to him was, they keep scrubbing the stuff off the internet as fast as I find it to, to use it. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's crazy. But the, the bottom line is, I believe that Donald Trump was read into a lot of things when he took office. I know that he knows about Area 51. I know he knows about arguments with extraterrestrials. And I also believe that his cabinet level uh, personnel have read him in on the environment and uh, the science of the environment. And I think the way things are headed is they think it's a lost cause because they just don't seem to want to make a move in that direction. And both Marsha and I, uh, we don't have to worry about living on to the year 2050. We will be gone long before that. And uh, we will have uh, a plan B. Uh, I've been invited to be an administrator on an off-world colony. Or I can, if I so desire, I can, basically on a little notice with the Anunnaki, I can uh, live on Kepler-69C. And I have citizenship there. That was granted to me. So So you said that you you love humanity, you love this earth, and your, your mission, which was given to you by Yahweh Elohim, is to make this happen. So they care. The Anunnaki, there's a faction at least that care. And so, anyway. A lot would have to change in Washington, D.C. Because the resources it takes, you know, we know that the Anunnaki came to Earth tens of thousands of years ago, probably hundreds of thousands of years ago, the exact date. I don't think anybody knows anymore, but they gave technology to man. They gave us writing. They gave us language. uh, They gave us engineering. uh, They showed us how to build the uh, pyramids, right? One of their colonies, and you would think that logically, as a human, we care about our colonies. You would think that they would care about their colonies and want to do something. The, the the bottom line is, this is something we're 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 going to have to do for ourselves. And global warming is real. Uh, the devastation that we've encountered in uh, the Gulf of Mexico and Florida, Puerto Rico, the islands in the Caribbean—that's the tip of the iceberg. We're going to see more severe inclement weather, and they're seeing it all over the world. I, I get weather reports from all over the world, and I'm seeing it. Global warming creates more severe weather patterns. We're, we're not even able to really put back together uh, Puerto Rico. Okay, so we're, we're coming up to the end of the show. Uh, John, what's the most important things for us to know for you to tell your listeners? Uh, read the book. 
continued Chronicles of John Titer 2. Uh, I think that it's a quick, easy read, and I meant it to be. Uh, I meant it, it uh, to be a, a reference. You can easily look up my sources, and they bear out what I've been saying for uh, some period of time. Uh, you know, I, I'm a little discouraged that there were two attempts on my life. <laughs> and yeah. that I, you know, uh, having to go to, to the hospital and, and deal with what I have dealt with and, and everything, uh, in, in the, it was, is horrendous. Uh, they, they, they were concerned that I was going to live and I was concerned whether I was going to become addicted to hydrocodone or not. And, uh, I don't take hydrocodone anymore. Oh, it's awful stuff, yeah. Oh, terrible. But it's it's just something that we have to look at. We have to deal with it every day. We have to understand the environment is deteriorating faster and faster. Well, thank you so much, Bob. That's the end of the show. Thank you, everybody. This has been Divine Paradise. Have me back and we'll talk. In three, two, one. Until next week, we must leave the world of the Divine Paradigm. But always remember, you all exist on more than one plane or dimension. And there is a shift coming. A shift to universal consciousness. A shift to the divine paradigm. Divine paradigm. Divine paradigm. For more information on the divine paradigm as well as the hosts, Dr. Sasha Lesson and Janet Kira Lesson, please visit their website at AquarianRadio.com. Divine Paradigm, live every Tuesday afternoon, 2.30 p.m. Pacific, exclusively on the KCOR Digital Radio Network. Your transformational future is at hand. This is KCOR Las Vegas, home of the Digital Radio Network, broadcasting from a shack just south of Area 51. Wait, that doesn't exist. This is the KCOR Digital Radio Network. Now for the news. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions.